0: Good morning and welcome back to the second hour of love babs love talk on babs rolls ivy Woo! this is the conversation y'all been waiting for so y- y'all know uh our resident academic dr robert brown who comes on quite often so it's lovely to see you dr brown how, how nice to, to see you Thank you been i'm you know listen it's i'm getting ready to leave for africa in a couple of days uh, i'm feeling pretty good for you Pretty darn good. So uh, let me introduce Dr. Wanda A. Alderman. She's an urban sociologist, author, and senior consultant. She is the author of The Last Black Teacher, Race Education and Students of Color. And her new book is Heirlooms, uh, Treasures, and Love Letters, Gathering Our Truths Before the Sun Sets. She is a Howard University grad. I know the Mecca. I know. The greatest homecoming. Well, no. That's A&T, the greatest homecoming of all all time. I'm sorry.
1: Did you say something? I didn't didn't hear that last statement.
0: (laughs) I I know, I know the wars. I know the wars. I know the wars. I know the wars. So, um, so welcome Dr. Alderman. And then um, Dr. Ty Stone. uh, Let's see. I have your notes here too. Yes. And uh, it's very, very nice to see you. Dr. Ty Stone is the interim vice president of campus services and chief financial officer at Howard Community College in Maryland. Correct? In Maryland. That's right. That's right. All right. So. So we gathered together today, and thank you all for coming. It's so wonderful to have this conversation. So I get a call from Dr. Brown a couple of weeks ago, and he is incensed about uh, the way uh, Black academics are, are being treated in higher education. And I think the capstone is, uh, at first the capstone was Dr. Hannah Nicole Jones, but now the, capstone, the new capstone is uh, Dr. Gay from Harvard, uh, that she has stepped down. Uh, from her duties as as president, the first black first black president of Harvard, first black woman of Harvard uh, and she has stepped down in, in recent weeks. And so um, it got me thinking and it got a lot of people thinking, is there a problem with black academias, black academics in in academia? and and is this just the beginning of hearing the the mistreatment and and uh, the frustrations of, of black academics, uh, in higher education.
1: Well, it, it, thank you for, for having me back on the show. It's, it's great to be with you. And, and good morning, Drs. Alderman and Stone. It's a pleasure to see your faces. But to answer that question, and, and I certainly want uh, the two the, esteemed scholars to, to weigh on this heavily, uh, this has been a generations-old problem. It has actually been a crisis that has been ignored. It's been uh, unrecognized deliberately for, for many, many years. And I think over the last... Probably 10 to 20 years, you've seen this sort of escalation uh, to a point where for more and more black scholars across academia, the circumstances and situations have become untenable. But I think now what you're also seeing is a greater willingness to speak truth to power in ways that have not been heard before.
2: I think you're absolutely right. Institutional racism has just consistently removed Black scholars from academic environments. So you can just go back as far as 1954, Brown, and nearly 40,000 Black career educators and administrators were removed nationwide. And here we are in 2024, 70 years later, and you see multiple scholars are resigning from institutions that were founded on whiteness. And you can see that the practice of institutional racism aimed at black scholars at other universities, whether it's in Texas, Tennessee, Ohio, Ohio. Um, So naturally you ask, what is the cost of losing black scholars? Because the bullying and putting false narratives into the media because an individual doesn't align with your ideology or simply uh, because of racism. And there are multiple tactics and some of new race-based tactics that bring intense levels of psychological stress to black scholars, whether it's micro from faculty members and colleagues or the macro levels of race, institutional racism. Overall, so many scholars are simply resigning in silence to a point that we're not not even, not able to keep track of the data because they're simply walking away uh, from academic institutions.
3: Yeah, which is exactly my experience. I um, was a president uh, for six years total. Um, Last year of my presidency was untenable. Um, And even through the five years prior to that, it had affected my health, it had affected my mental health, it affected my outlook. Um, and it was things like the board and their lack of support, the community and the microaggressions and you know the novelty of bringing in that first black president until that first black president says or does something that they don't agree with um to just the the, the faculty, the staff, um, creating a narrative that, black women presidents bring with them a culture of fear which is ridiculous um and then you really start to think about it and decide whether or not it's worth your not just your future career but your future health and well-being and so it 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 really is an assault on i think black women
0: mm. Now we we've all got wind of of uh, the 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 of Dr. Annette Antoinette, and and she had uh, concrete evidence that she was being bullied. Right, like she she had a string of paperwork that was showing. I think that they don't take the
3: complaints or the concerns of Black women seriously, um, probably because we're. Not viewed in many of of the ways that you would view a uh, regular human life, right? Um, so, it, you know, as I reflect on my background and my history, I had a faculty member threaten my life on Facebook, and um, that was really swept under the carpet um, at my institution. Meanwhile, I was sitting in an office, a beautiful office that was three quarters windows, and I kept those blinds closed because I was fearful for my life. Um, So I I think that people just don't take our concerns seriously. Um, But I think that's part, that's also a part of the history that we've been kind of conditioned for um, over many, many decades.
0: Mm. I, so, I just add, go ahead, Dr. Brown. And I, and
1: I, I just need to, to, to infuse this. Uh, so just indulge for just a quick second. One, one of the, the issues that each of us respectively has had to combat in our own careers is the idea of taking the standard of excellence wherever we've gone. And that standard is a part and parcel of how we were trained, how we were raised, the responsibility given to us to help to prepare the next generation of educators and scholars, but also to ensure that those standards of excellence remain sound and intact. And I have to tell you that, and I'll just speak for myself, in more instances that I care to to share, the idea of taking that standard of excellence with you, where you go in academic spaces has not often been embraced or validated, but it's often been challenged. And so as Blacks in the professoriate, Blacks in academia, there are so many nuances to the way that the microaggressions and macroaggressions baths can be manifested. And I'll I'll just stop there. Mm. So go
2: ahead, Dr. Alderman. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, The word that I often heard was intimidating. But also, when there are complaints, we are expected to address them. Then there must be something wrong with us. Uh, So often, the person making the complaint is not evaluated, but the scholar is asked to come up with the evidence as to why this isn't true. So we never or I would say we don't always approach the complaint with perhaps this is based in racism, but wanting uh, the black scholar to defend themselves. Mm. So
0: I mean that makes me ask, um, it, it, particularly in Dr. Gay's case, that somehow or other, her 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 work that she has done was coming to question of plagiarism and like anybody, it seems to me after I read some of this that. That after the fact that there was no plagiarism, that anybody could have just said it and and then you have to be on the defense to sort of say, go back and prove that no, no, this is actually my work, it's credible, it's all this kind of stuff. But that seems like it takes a lot of time if somebody comes and says, you know what, Dr. Alderman, I think your work is not sound, or I think your work is plagiarized. And it's up to you to sort of prove uh to somebody that it is that's not
2: the case. Is that is that an accurate Oh, absolutely, because you're putting out a false narrative. And because we have a new format in terms of social media, of how we go about bullying, how we go about demeaning someone, that is incredibly hard to combat that because you're reaching such a wide audience. And once those false narratives are in the media, do you give up? Do you try to fight them? Um, It can be overwhelming in uh, just personal experiences of a parent not liking a grade, uh, having to hire a lawyer, having you know to go through different scenarios to defend your integrity, but it does have an effect on your ability, your resources, like that. And and I think that there's also
3: not placed on on anyone else but us the. The burden of having to make to prove things so people can say whatever they want to say unfounded untrue unsubstantiated which makes it even more difficult for us to fight that because it's many times it's just made up stuff <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's not even true <laughs> so how do how do we push back on this how do we how 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 does uh, uh, black folks in academia survive, and 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 what sort of mechanisms should be put in place, and and what should these boards of these universities consider when they start the the work of uh, hiring people of color in in these positions? Like what should happen here? Well, go ahead.
1: Go
3: ahead. Oh, I, no, I was going to say, I think that one of the things is it's it's a commitment. It's a long-term commitment to the success. When you bring somebody in, a person of color in, and I used to use this analogy with the board, you know, I was brought into a community that I knew nothing about um, and expected to just thrive and survive. And, you know, my board would say, well, if, th- if you need anything, let us know. Well, it's like, I was like bringing a baby home, you know? It's like, I didn't know what I didn't know about the community. I didn't know who the players were. I didn't know what the culture was really like because it's hard to really gain that in a few hours of interviews. So I think they need to be very um, deliberate about bringing someone that's different in, um, be- very, and they need to be committed to that person's success. Not just for, for the novelty of the moment, but for the long-term success of that person that they're bringing in,
0: hmm. I would say that Dr. Gay had the support of her board. Until so she did, I mean, until she <laughs> she uh, yeah, until she didn't. So, <laughs> so what happens? Like, because this seemed, you know, I I like a lot of people went back and listened and listened and okay, uh, they were supportive, and then they wasn't. And then she made the decision to to step down. So it must've been a great deal of pressure. And I think pressure from folks who give to the school, to the institution, from parents who, you know, kids are in that school, like talk a little bit about all the pressures uh, that one uh, sees that other people may not see.
2: I think you have to start with the fact that you're dealing with institutions that were founded on whiteness. And I think you have to truly acknowledge that institutional racism is woven throughout the fabric of this nation. So it is very, very uh, difficult to fight these components. It is just incredible. And what you do see is people make decisions based on, do I want to deal with the psychological stress of having to fight back? And so you make decisions, whether you have family, whether um, I can move on. No one embraces this. No one has a complete answer to eradicate this because you're talking about changing the context and the nature of society with, that it, with just a small group can dismantle everything you've worked for and you can always win. Every battle, you can win some battles, but some are bigger than you want to take on, even if you have the resources to deal with them. So, I, as I was saying earlier, I think we have to acknowledge it, that there has just been a historical pattern of uh, dismantling Black scholars, Black educators, administrators for whatever reason. And it raises its ugly head consistently and periodically, um, and it hurt, it's hurtful. And you do see, certainly, given that the majority of people in academics and education are often women, and especially for Black women, um, we we receive the front of these attacks. And again, there are far more of these going on than we can gather data for. Wow, Because people often don't want to talk about it. They may feel that um, maybe they failed at something or that, you know, their close circle of friends you know and, you know, they might talk about it in some arenas. But this is a very, very serious problem um, going on right now in terms of academics. And we're just, it. Gay was in the news because she was the president of Harvard. And there, if you look through other uh, chronicle of educations, you'll see other situations where uh, professors have resigned and actually left the United States, gone to another country to teach, um, but it is consistently going on.
0: Mm. So where does that leave us, Dr. Brown? Should we not be seeking these positions in in higher education? Should we not be thinking I could be president of Yale or Harvard or Dartmouth or all these places? Should I not be looking to 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 go to the highest pinnacle of my professional career? Because you know this is going to be uh, not only a hard climb, but it's going to be uh, almost dangerous for me to stay in it.
1: Absolutely not. And one of the things that and and each person has their own experiences, but I think that's what what's really important is as terrible as you can be made to feel at times, uh, being in academia, what I try to do is always consider the bigger picture. And for me, the bigger picture is helping to prepare the next generation of scholars and thinkers. And one of the ways that I do that is what I'm doing right now, being on this show with my two esteemed friends and colleagues, speaking the truth about an issue that many younger academics are afraid, rightly so, to discuss, because the idea of speaking about the atrocities that can be visited upon young black scholars in particular, and young young scholars of color in general, is too much to bear. And I and I think that, you know, as I've said to you, Babs, uh, and I've written about, um, higher academia is one of the most racist institutions in American society. But I think the other part of it is, we have to continue to have these kinds of conversations so that the truth of this matter can really come forward. But once the truth continues to come forward, all parties involved have to be willing to embrace the truth and then to do something about it. So this idea of having these you know, DEI spaces that are more about optics and substance is not what is going to get this done. It's not going to be a solution long-term. We have to really be brave enough to unpack all of the layers of what we've been presenting to you over the last 10 minutes and look at them honestly and critically, because if we're not willing to do that, then this problem is is not going to be addressed. It's only going to get worse.
0: Mm. So do you get the sense, any of you, that that, that that's real? Like you could some... Higher institution could say, you know what, we really want to take this on, and we're going to we're going to be committed to this work. Um, it, it, do you think we'll see that in our lifetimes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think
3: we will, but I think we've got to we've we've got to be more strategic about it. So, you know, in those in those um, communities where we might be able to be on boards or to support other Black presidents. Um, We need to do that and we need to make sure that our influence is used in those ways, um, which is one of the reasons why I've transitioned to the role I have now, uh, because that is my work. The presidency was a lot for me. Um, So my work now is in supporting other Black presidents and helping them, the younger generations, be more successful through the influence and the experiences that I've had.
0: Mm. So that is that a, that's what's going to be required, Doctor Alderman? Like that kind of commitment and
2: care? Oh, absolutely, because we have to mentor each other um, when put in those situations. You know, in my own uh, professional experience, one of my one of the things I appreciate it most, um, and certainly I have to give credit to Howard University. Um, and having studied there is that I knew the layers of micro and macro racism. I think being in an environment where you are not aware of them and what they look like um, can be fierce. So being able to mentor you, Black scholars who are faculty members or administrators in situations, is a, an excellent start. Because our experiences can help them to build a stronger legacy as they pursue uh, their goals in academia. Mm-hmm.
0: And the, and this also speaks to how people get tenured, right? Like the yeah. tenure track and, and how uh, uh, folks sort of um, try to maneuver those waters. And like, this is not just, I want to be president of a, of a university or institution of higher learning. But this is... I I want to get on a tenure track, and how do I do that? And how do I assemble a team to help me do that? And uh, uh, and and how do you do that uh, when every time you turn around, your your academic credibility is always questioned and second guessed?
1: Not easily. <laughs> <I> mean, that's <laughs> uh, that that's quite a notion, but I but I think that it's really important to. Uh, identify, if possible, a a mentor and, frankly, sponsor that is willing to shepherd you through that process because you're coming into a new environment where you may not know uh, where the landmines may be placed. And so having someone who can serve as an advocate as well as a mentor as you are navigating that process uh, is, is so important. And that's generally speaking, but especially for... Uh, young black scholars in the academy, um, it is uh, potentially uh, a life-saving type of uh, person to have because if you are denied tenure, uh, you essentially become lame duck. You can stay at that university if you want, but if you go somewhere else, you've got to start the process again. So doing the canvassing and perhaps and talking with, talking with older academics uh, about their experiences and some of the things that they did to navigate that process is a great strategy also.
0: So I know Dr. Stone, you have to jump off. Is there any last remarks that you'd like to uh, say before before you leave? And thank you for your time.
3: Well, thank you. I just wanna say, I think we need to continue to have conversations like this and we've gotta continue, we've gotta resist the urge of becoming part of what we've been experiencing. So I have had many people to say to me, well, what did you do? What did you, what didn't you do to cause these issues? Because that's the narrative too. So we've got to support one another. We can't go into that kind of thought process. And we've got to make sure that we are having the courage to have these kinds of conversations about how we can support each other moving forward in the academy. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time.
0: Thank you for coming on for as long as you could. I appreciate you. So, right. so, so Dr. Alderman, Dr. Brown, what do we what do we say to young academics coming through? Like what do uh, is this still uh 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 something that we want uh folks to 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 chase? Is this still a dream that's worth their time? Um how do we how do we prepare the next level of academics?
2: Where are you- okay. Not only from uh, a secondary education uh, of just teaching Black history, as we all know, the controversy about teaching an AP Black history course. So you can imagine there is always a need for Black scholars to give uh, to come to institutions of higher education to give a very experience, but understanding what that role is going to look like. Um, and how they need to prepare before they arrive, what they need to do while they're there. So often the scholarly works of black scholars is uh, demeaned, not perceived sometimes as not being as valuable. Um, A professor um, at Yale, uh, when she did receive um, tenure, uh, it was easy, easily rolled out of the mouth of her colleagues that, you know, well, perhaps you got it simply because you were associated uh, with that university, not because of your scholarly work. So there are always challenges. So as I'm saying that there's so many levels of this, um, whether it's secondary, whether it's at collegiate level, whether it's moving into becoming permanent um, in ter- as we go up the tenure track, it's, it's a battle, but it also, is one where we've got to continue to support individuals who take on that challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. And should the support look like uh, should should the support come from inside the ac- academic institution? Like, should the board say we're going to we're going to set up a structure so that uh, we we are we are investing in your success, or 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 is it on the academic to find? their own support system to, to get them through these challenging times.
1: Yes, I, I, I think the, the, the mechanisms of support can be internal to the institution and also external. Um, but one of the things too, it, as it relates to some of the stressors that uh, blacks in the academy can experience more now than in previous generations are the ways in which they are engaged by students, particularly some white students um, it can be extremely toxic. And because we're in this era now where more students have been made to feel that the interaction between a student and professor is transactional, That, by that I mean, well, I paid my tuition, now I'm due a grade. When again, you're bringing the standard of excellence into that classroom. And perhaps the students with whom you're interacting have not been acclimated to the standard of excellence as thoroughly as you think that they should, it can be deeply problematic. And, and so there are so many dimensions to this that I think the support has to come from those institutions specifically, but I also think the support needs to come from external sources. Because one of the things that, you know, I think, and, and this is in part generational, is that we can each walk into a room and we can feel the racism. But you've got some in younger generations who walk right into that kind of an environment and not really understand what it is they're experiencing. Mm. So the the input, the empathy, the wisdom of an older person can really go a long way to helping that younger scholar understand the nuances of the terrain on which they're treading. And, And that's why I say, you know, the idea of always considering the bigger picture. How can I help to understand this issue from the perspective of working to make it better for the next generation? So perhaps they won't have to experience some of the things that we have. Hmm. Hmm.
0: So will we start to see these kinds of public kinds of conversations with academics or, or do academics as a rule, tend to shy away from this kind of spotlight. Because this, I think, requires a certain kind of courage. And I'm not sure academics who are actually working in academia can have these very public conversations. I I don't know. I, I imagine that they can't because then it's to their colleagues who are not of color. It might sound like they're talking out of turn or speaking outside or ill of the institution that they are working for. I, but, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand but, how how this could work in someone's favor,
1: but based on what you just said, that's an excellent example of of what we're talking about in terms of the tightrope that black academics have to walk every single day and And so that level of stress over time take takes a toll. And so no, they're they're not going to be some who are in the academy who are comfortable enough to have the kinds of kinds of conversations that we're having because of the very real consequences that may come with that decision and there again is why it's important for those of us who are out of the fray as it were to come forward and speak about this truth because it's absolutely necessary
2: i think Dr. Brown and I both could probably talk for an hour on comments that have been sent to us in academia, (laughs) uh, especially by, you know, white students um, seeing you as um, perhaps the first black educator they have encountered, you know, questions that to your face to say, you know, how are you qualified to uh, teach me? And of course your first five answers, you can't tell them because they would probably take you out in handcuffs at that moment. Um, So it is such a long litany list of graduate students, you know, breaking down in class and crying because um, you wrote a comment on their paper or uh, going to the Dean because um, you made them read some uh, a book or a paper that you had written. It, it is just incredible what Black scholars uh, encounter. But yet there is such a need to support, to walk mm-hmm. scholars through the many elements of academia and, and higher education, whether it's achieving your ten- tenure, um, learning to dot I's and cross T's and documenting um, just having someone to vent with um, just because. In some institutions, yes, internally, they they uh, there may be a a very good support system, but certainly not at all. So whether you're entering. um, Academic environments where maybe you have to step away from finding that support internally, Uh, But you need that support. I I don't think any individual, especially in higher ed, uh, can walk uh, through this alone.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So we're about to wrap up in about two minutes. Is is this a is this a a reckoning for higher education? I mean, we've seen it across, you know, sports and entertainment and, you know, Oscars so wide and, uh, you know, uh, Kaepernick taking the knee and upsetting the whole NFL is this is this the higher education moment for reckoning of of matters of race and <sighs> scholar
1: it could be it could be the question is is higher academia willing to do the work is higher academia willing to hear the voices of those who have primarily been voiceless If it is willing to do those things, then I think that we're on the leading edge of perhaps a a transformation in some ways. But if this is a situation where there may be some attention given to it for a while and things go back to being status quo, no. We will again have missed a wonderful opportunity. And just think about the brilliant minds that come out of the diversity of blackness across this country that can be doing so much for young people in this time. I mean think about the skills levels that are brought to bear by people from the from the black community it's, it's just incredible. So the idea that you would not want to inculcate this institution with the very best is it's hard for me to, to to grapple and and um so, I hope that this is going to be a moment that leads into a movement that turns into a generational shift.
2: Mm. I think as we become more and more a nation of color, it is so necessary that diverse perspectives that often come from scholars of color are given. Otherwise, we won't achieve uh, you know just goals that are so important. So. Uh, making sure that those scholars have support um, and we don't let this, oh, it's just one of those things that happened, um, be the situation. Perhaps it means that uh, more black scholars have to unite and come together so that we can take advantage of this moment.
0: Mm. And I would say this is, th- these these matters are not unique to, to white, private white institutions that, you know, I mean, the the sister, the the doctor, sister that, com- that died by suicide at the HBCU, which was headed up by a white person. I mean, they they have their struggles too, right? Like, it's, this is a higher education issue. This is not just private white institutions.
1: No, it's it it is an issue across the board, but you find concentrated instances um, of this issue. In predominantly white institutions, and I think that we we can't look at a piece without looking at the whole. But if we were to look specifically at where these occurrences are happening most frequently, it's at white institutions.
2: And there is so, difference, okay. difference between discrimination and racism, mm-hmm. and though so that being perhaps the difference. Mm.
0: So as we wrap up in this moment in these moments as you look forward as you think about your own past um scholarly endeavors and and where you are now and then you look forward to these new scholars that are coming through are you hopeful i mean do you feel like there might that we're not rolling back time and 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 these young scholars will have to kick the door in the way that W.E. Du Bois kicked the door in and I mean you know what i mean like it, uh, are we are we hopeful that this can get better for the next generation of scholars?
1: Well, I, I, I have to hope that it's gonna get better, but it's only gonna get better if the requisite work is put forth. I mean, this isn't just gonna happen by osmosis. There has to be deliberate, sustained strategic efforts across a variety of different groups to help bring this into existence?
2: I perhaps am a little more skeptical um, <laughs> only because <laughs> I, as I mentioned earlier, this will be the 70th anniversary of Brown versus the Board of Education. And I I see that as such an important landmark in education in general. And you have to ask and collect the data to say, has, have things improved or are we simply continuing to spiral? And so with that as the you know, stepping stone, whether it's secondary or higher education, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And maybe there are some improvements, but it's not where we should be, not where we should be, whether in higher ed or secondary education.
0: Hmm. I so appreciate this conversation. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your thoughts on this. And, and I don't think this will be the last conversation. I'd like for you all to come back on and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more um, and get into some real, uh, get into the weeds a little bit, uh, particularly around how to support people when they are trying to uh, uh, maneuver these academic waters. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Thank you. It was lovely to meet you, Dr. Alderman. I I appreciated your insight. Thank you
2: for your time.
0: Thank you. All right. I will talk to you all soon. Enjoy the rest of this week. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Thank you, Harry.